I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I'm speaking to artist and illustrator Veronica Dearly. Veronica brings joy to the world with her smart, relatable, funny and very real illustrations, which she prints onto cards, gifts and shares daily with her Instagram community. Her well-timed, highly empathetic posts go viral and are shared with thousands of people across the world. Not bad for someone who didn't have any conventional training, was a young mum and started life as one of the shyest people she knew. I had the best morning chatting with the inspiring Veronica at my home, where we spoke about the early days of starting her business, how she uses her art to spread joy and the political messages she believes in, and how she overcame the things that she found the most terrifying in business and in life. Good morning, Veronica. It's the actual Veronica Dearly here in my living room. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat to me today. Oh no, thank you for being so kind. It's really lovely to meet you finally. I know. <laughs> Can you believe? I mean, I think it's in so many relationships now. You know, we've online, been working yeah. online for so many years together. We talk to each other socially. We talk through email, but we've actually never met face no. to face. So it's <laughs> lovely that you're here. So first of all, I would love to start out with your story. I've seen this beautifully illustrated on your website, but I'd love to hear firsthand from Veronica your journey so far. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I started out leaving school after my A-levels, feeling very miserable about being in education and thought, oh, I'll have a few years out and I'll um, go back to university and do do some art eventually. But um, in the meantime, I started working in hospitality as a trainer. Um, I was painfully, painfully shy to the point where it would make my life miserable. So um, becoming a trainer was the most terrifying thing I could think I could probably have imagined. I would travel around the country by myself. I think I was 19 at this point. So a 19-year-old woman travelling around, going to different restaurants and hotels, and then delivering training sessions to entire teams, dealing with all the people that you come across in hospitality and, well, in all walks of life. I think it's such a diverse place to be because some of your colleagues are the same age as you some of them are 60 year old women some of them are 50 year old men they've come from different countries and you you kind of encounter such a wide group of people so working as a trainer in that kind of environment was a real baptism of fire but it was exactly what I needed to 
sort of work out how I fitted into the world and how to build relationships with other people. And I was only there for about nine months, but it was a huge turning point for me, kind of just pushing myself out of my comfort zone and realising that I was capable of, well, anything really after having left school, not I kind of I, I left school. Um, I'd gone I'd gone to a grammar school and um, just kind of scraped in and felt really sort of disheartened because I'd gone from being really super clever in my middle school to just scraping into the grammar school and becoming bottom of the class. So to be there for seven years and everybody went off to study medicine at Cambridge and become lawyers and all those sorts of things and I was feeling very lost. So just going out and and being good at a job was such a huge confidence boost to me and that's exactly what I needed. I left that after nine months because I was away about six six days a week every week and it was a bit overwhelming by that point. I had met Craig who turned out to be my husband and decided that I wanted to be at home and now was the time that I was going to go to university which didn't turn out quite right because I got pregnant with our first child around that time. (laughs) Best plans and all that. (laughs) Yeah so that was really my rebellion in that um My mum had had me when she was 39. She was always a single mother by choice. She wouldn't tolerate any men around. (laughs) And so me, I think me marrying and having children so young was was my teenage rebellion, really. (laughs) And it turned out, um, well, obviously, I'm very happy, but um, I think it could have been a lot worse. (laughs) Because you were very young, right? Yes, Um, I was 20 when I fell pregnant with Ollie. um, And then Tabitha came along the next year. Uh, By this point, I'd obviously given up on my idea of going to university. So I was being a housewife, mother, uh, full-time mum, really. So you, you were young when you had your children. And I think that your story will be so inspiring to others for the fact that you haven't followed this conventional path you didn't go to uni as you said Uh, you went to antenatal classes um, (laughs) instead of art classes Uh, you didn't get your formal training but you had this unbelievable passion though that burnt inside of you for art and this incredible talent for illustration which led you to starting this small business seven years ago Um, the world is now moving forward um, and you know, we've, we're entering into something called the freelance economy. And I can imagine when you started, it felt very, very different than let's say today because you know, not that many people were starting out on their own or I remember, you know, that's why we started Not On The High Street. It was just this new wave of actually I can run a business, I've got kids and it needs to fit in around my family. When you think now by 2020, 40% of the workforce will be freelance, you know, it's very different to how you started. Making a living becoming an artist must have been very scary the lack of tools that are around today social media didn't really exist and you know you didn't have Squarespace to build your website and all these things that now I think we take for granted can you just tell me about those early days starting out and the courage that you needed to muster up to sort of take that leap of faith with yourself 
Yeah, I mean, when I first, I, I went through all these ideas of creative businesses that I would like to run, which has been kind of a running theme in my life since I was at school. I would come up with the ideas and I would think about them to death and then I would move on and not do anything about them. So eventually, uh, we, when we got married, actually, that was kind of what kicked it all off. I designed our wedding stationery and kind of, it was in the early days of wedding blogging, the alternative sort of version and after I did our wedding stationery and it went down really well with everybody I thought great I'll um, design a few collections and put up a little website and just see what I can get really which was great to actually follow through with something finally (laughs) 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 demonstrated to me that I could (laughs) after all those years of and that was in the wedding field was it it was yes it was wedding wedding stationery I designed about uh, probably about 10 collections and when my wedding was shared on a blog that was kind of where I my starting point that was my starting point of trying to gather customers and eventually well not eventually um Within the following months, somebody from Not on the High Street approached me and said, would you like to sell your wedding stationery on Not on the High Street? And at that point, I think my husband was fed up of my (laughs) constant (laughs) moving on to things and and not following through with them. And he was very sort of, "Do do you really think that this is worth it? And that was when my gut kicked in and I thought, no, I do. He was the one, he was the breadwinner and... Uh, whatever the joining fee was was a lot of money for us and I just thought no this is it this I'll throw everything into this and see how it goes and that's when I kind of started considering the business side of it having approached it from a, a design point of view and imagining that I'd be working with clients and designing things from start till finish I was actually looking at how businesses worked on not on the high street and platforms like that and thought I need to design some products that are ready to ready to sell that don't require a huge process for each sale and that will catch people's eyes and the the most obvious thing for me then was greetings cards and so that's where it all started with the cards which has obviously become a huge part of my business and and how it grew really so I designed a few cards which went down really well I think my husband <laughs> who is very supportive, I would like to say. I'm going to paint him as a horrible Don't worry. <laughs> but I think he was ready to comfort me that I hadn't got any sales. But actually, I think within the first hour, I'd had a handful, and that was all I needed to sort of feel confident in my decision, <laughs> really. I, I remember. What advice would you have for others now in the same situation that you found yourself in? So maybe the younger Veronica, and I know we'll talk about that later, but leaving school, who's not quite sure what to do, who might too have these ideas, what advice would you give to people in a similar situation to yourself? Kind of twofold, really, um, because I think about this a lot. Having flipped from idea to idea to idea till everybody around me was sick of my new ideas and thought I'm never going to do anything with them, it's easy to fall into that and think that you're just going to bumble along and not do anything um, with any of them. But when the right idea comes along, you will find that you do do it. And um, even if it's that tiniest step and then you take the next tiniest step... 
uh, I feel like there is a gut feeling that tells you that now this is the right time and this is the right idea and this isn't the silly one that that is going to flop. This is what you should stick with. That's that, that's such comfort, isn't it, when you think about that? Because I think that's one of the things. It's like, will I know? Will I know that this is the one? Yeah. And what you're saying is, yeah, you'll know. Even if you are coming up with 10 ideas a day or everyone's, you know, raising their eyes for another yeah. Friday night glass <laughs> oh, of wine idea. Now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, it's nice to know that you'll know yeah. and that actually that those little steps is the indicator, oh, this might be the one. I think it's so important for the younger generations to gain inspiration from women like you who haven't necessarily had that formal training or business background, but are running their own businesses, doing what they love and being successful. There's a huge discrepancy between the number of women and men starting their own businesses. Actually, it's the difference is per year, 150,000. So that's how many that's more businesses men start than women. And it's something I'm absolutely passionate about changing, empowering women to start business. Your work has got quite a strong feminist theme to yeah. it. Is this something that's very important to you? Absolutely. As I said, raised by my mum, who is a militant, independent woman, <laughs> um, I've kind of been brought up with this idea that you you kind of you do what you need to do you don't need to worry about having a man um even though I happen to have one <laughs> who I do need very much <laughs> but you um yeah I kind of encountered uh in my brief time in the real in a real world job I I encountered a lot of the very old school face of um men shouting at women and just all that horrible old school attitude towards young women coming up and and trying to make their own way and that made me very determined obviously to succeed in some way uh, I find that that's that's the best way to look at it is um, whenever somebody says something that would upset me I just want to succeed just to prove them wrong. Just like this <laughs> this idea of my pettiness that will just actually drive me forward into success. And um, yeah, so I'm raising a young daughter and things just seem so far away from where they could be. We've come a very long way and all the women before us have done a brilliant job of of creating where we are now, but there's still such a long way to go when you look at pay discrepancy and where women are in different workplaces some of them will be full of women and some of them are completely devoid of women so it's we've got a way to go still yeah absolutely one of the things I feel that you've done when we talk about this subject, which can actually get very heavy, mm. only last night, Frank and me practically got divorced on um, <laughs> my son bringing up a subject about um, what he'd learnt at school. And it's an interesting time. You know, I've got um, a household of three men, um, Frank, Harry <laughs> and Mr. Mudley. Um, he didn't have a lot to say on it. And no. um, it was just very interesting. And being the only woman in the house, I felt like I had to really shout for the women. But it's some Something that I think where what I needed last night, I needed humour. What you've done and how you've embraced this subject is with humour. And I think the best comedians in life are the observational ones, the ones that understand humans 
can empathise, vocalise what we might be thinking about as we all need a bit of humour in our lives. You know, I'm constantly seeing your work shared on Instagram or friends tagging in other friends in posts. And when I was going through a really hard time in my life, actually, a friend sent me one of your terrific telegrams. (laughs) And I'm not sure if you do those anymore. Not at the moment. No, but it it, it said... Oh, Holly, you are so wonderful that one day they will make a television series about you and it will be so good that everyone will join in live Twitter discussions using hashtag Holly is off the fucking hook. Way to go, Holly. And honestly, it made me smile so, so much. Or some of your recent examples, you posted an illustration and it said, New Year, absolutely no need for a new you because you're super in brackets in fact maybe just be even more you (laughs) and I saw this being shared continuously through January or just to make you blush even more we'll read out another one (laughs) um one of my favorite posts last Friday may your waistband be elasticated and your evenings filled with comfort which had me on the sofa (laughs) getting rid of the shakes that I'm on in January eating a chocolate bar with Frank (laughs) and it was just fantastic you've brought that to the table. Has your style developed over time or have you always sought to make people smile through your work? Where did that humour come from? Uh, I think the humour started with those cards. Originally, I was depicting the process of wedding planning in my engagement card, the process of having a new baby in my new baby card and the process of the early marriage relationship in the wedding card. And it just seemed like the most natural thing to come to me to talk about the very normal, very normal things that that come along with those that are not remarkable or hilarious at the time, but are just a universal experience that everybody has. And I think that there's comfort that everybody finds in when they see something that they feel so strongly written down and it just becomes funny just purely in that it's just such a universal experience and we're all dealing with the same shit, like with the the new baby, the misery, the joy, all the little things that at the time are completely unremarkable but when you build them all up and you realise that these are like a worldwide experience that all new parents are going through they will become amusing and it's it's funny to look back on and it's funny to just see it written down so that you can relate to it and yet a lot of my work has developed to focus on relating to my customers and I find that that is when I have the most success is when I notice something silly about myself or my life or something around me and just talk about that in a silly little writing a sentence that is when people will really hook into it and and like you say that's when the posts become shared widely and it's really exciting when that happens. You mentioned that you were I think your words were painfully shy you were Mm. you know you were caught in shyness. Yeah. So what was what's interesting is how you've built now a career in almost being the opposite of shy because being funny and 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 being out there so you're not necessarily you're not stand-up comedian but you put these thoughts onto paper were you naturally when you were growing up were you introverted and and shy and did did this express itself in its early days with you yeah I've 
I think throughout my childhood, I was painfully shy. Um, I would have a small group of friends and within that group, I would be the silly one. But I would, if I had to go to a shop by myself when I was younger and I didn't know exactly where the counter was, things like that would terrify me. Like having to interact with people I didn't know were absolutely, that was my worst nightmare. So that shyness, you've... Because the lady I see here today on your first podcast, you know, if you could have said to that person who would panic to find that counter that you are now basically a comedy, a comedian through your illustrations. Yeah. That you're on your first podcast about your business that you built. I just wanted to take a moment because it's a bit of a moment, isn't it? It is. It's very exciting. It is a bit of a moment and all power to you because you're the one that pushed yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm. You know, to to think that that's how shy you were and yet you went and did, you know, training people. Yeah. You know, I I can't actually think of anything worse for that type (laughs) of scenario. And I remember, yeah, I think that actually thinking about how I deal with, I mean, I'm obviously still quite shy, like I'm not an extrovert and I never will be. But thinking about how I deal with being scared is... I laugh. Um, I, I I remember being in hospital recently and they're, they're giving me a blood test or something horrible and I'm just laughing and they're saying, well, you must be the kind of person that just laughs when you're scared. And I am and I think I've just exploited what is presumably some kind of defence mechanism and turned Commercialized it into... Commercialised it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turned well it into done. cash. That, so anyone out there, whatever you're absolutely fearful of, <laughs> how can you turn it into a business? And I also think that, you know, you have this empathy. You 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 tap into what the nation might be feeling. I remember regramming your post of a heart which said, just love and hope. This was right after we voted to leave the EU and I remember everyone being in shock your post tapped into exactly how the community certainly on Instagram you know was feeling and then what they needed to hear and then you've been quite political with your illustrations I remember your cheese illustration that said (laughs) fromage over farage or your bremaine um, (laughs) showing a big slice of brie or the don't put Prosecco in peril post. <laughs> I mean, I saw The Guardian pick this up as well. This must have been exciting for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was kind of a turning point for me when I realised that um, I could use this kind of light-hearted view on things that were obviously very serious that I felt incredibly strongly about. But by do- illustrating them in my silly non-threatening kind of way I could really strike a chord with people and I had a lot of people actually say to me what are you doing you're losing customers Um, every now and then somebody would say I'm on following you shouldn't be political and it was at that point where I thought what is the point in being a business with my name Veronica Dealey is the name of the business so it's me so what is the point in having that and and then being scared to tell people how I feel about things for fear of dividing them. And obviously that's still a tricky area, especially online these days because you can get so much backlash and as just a regular human person, it's not nice to <laughs> have horrible horrible like things sent to you on Twitter and things like that. But that was a real turning point where I realised that my work could kind of deliver these 
opinions in a way that was relatable and non-threatening and it would kind of help me build an audience of people that were like me and that's exactly what happened I think during that campaign my online following grew like crazy that was the biggest period of growth for me and yeah that's when I realized that the people that I'm talking to like me because I'm like them and that's how I engage with them and and going forward trying to work out things just about my life that everybody else is feeling has been kind of my growth strategy really. You know what's amazing is that big companies have big marketing teams Mm. and they strategize over stuff like this you know that we're just chatting about here and (laughs) you're just like I would rather have people that love me for my brand that have people who might pick up one of my cards once in a while. I'd rather have that true following of people who believe in what I believe in um, because they'll not go anywhere. And Mm. when you look at marketing metrics and retaining customers or acquiring customers, this is the whole game that everyone's in. And it's interesting to hear how your bravery to be political, yes, lost you some let's say followers or customers but gained you a huge new following and potential customers and revenue in the future when you think about how the brands of the future probably are going to have to step into your court because everyone has kept well well away from anything because you are taught you shouldn't divide you want all of the customers and anyone, whether it's one card in 20 years or a loyal customer, it doesn't matter. You want everyone to like you. Yeah. And I I just think it's such an interesting thing that, and gives courage to people, actually start to stand for things, start to say what you mean. Yeah. Believe in it. And at that flock, you know, you're not looking to get the whole universe to buy your cards. For your living, for your good living, your good life that you're building, you just need a big group of them or actually just a little group who buy a lot, you know, and that's your strategy in it. And it's very interesting to hear. I wanted to interrupt this podcast with such exciting news for the small business community. We're running a competition over this whole series for a chance to win an ad break on this very podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. NatWest, who we partner with, have donated their very own ad break space as they wanted to give it to small businesses in order to help their dreams succeed. Each week, one small business will get their advert played in the middle of the latest episode of Conversations of Inspiration. This week, NatWest are generously giving away their ad break to Squirrel Sisters. Over to you, Squirrel Sisters. Hi, I'm Sophie. And I'm Gracie. And together, we are the Squirrel Sisters. And we are actually sisters. We grew up known as the Squirrels by our friends, thanks to it rhyming with our surname, Tyrrell which very usefully later became appropriate for our fruit and nut-based bar range. The business came from a genuine passion. Our mum's a yoga teacher and an amazing cook, and our dad has always had us out in nature, climbing mountains and riding bikes. From a young age, we were always coming up with creative ideas like making perfume from the magnolia tree in the garden to desperately trying to convince neighbours to buy photo frames that we had made from old cereal boxes we realised quite quickly that this wasn't a scalable business. 
So in 2015, we were living on opposite sides of the world from each other. And as a fun way to stay in touch, we started a blog around the idea that we were two very normal girls who wanted the best of both worlds. The blog very quickly gained a following. So we wrote my husband in to design us a brand. And by the end of the year, we launched the range of snack bars, which Gracie used to make for me at home because of my gluten intolerance. And Squirrel Sisters officially became a business. For us, it's all about balance. And we're on a mission to make being healthy, fun and accessible. Taste is at the forefront of everything we create, having won awards for all our products that include snack bars and share bags. And they're all naturally gluten-free, vegan, high in fibre, and we don't use any syrups, paste or sugar alternatives. To this day, we've grown organically without any investment, doing everything ourselves from hand delivering orders through to supply chain management. We're really proud of our Squirrel Sisters journey as we're now stocked in over a thousand stores across the UK and last year we became published authors of our very own cookbook. For more information on how you can treat your health with Squirrel Sisters, please visit squirrelsisters.com. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people on this podcast, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert. You can send your well-thought-through ad into us at independentadbreak at holly.co or find out more information on our website, holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Veronica Dearly, you've said you actually found starting your business quite terrifying. What would you say has been the scariest part of running a business so far and how have you overcome it? Um, I think the thing that stands out to me as being the scariest part was actually doing my first trade show. I had been gearing up to it for a little while and I'd emailed it was top drawer I did I'd emailed them the first year in business and they didn't reply to me and obviously I took that as a they don't want me so it's that kind of fear of rejection which I think is is, was the hardest bit Um, and then sort of knuckled down and the following year I applied and that that was fine and I got in and just having to go through something that is completely alien to you that actually at the time I think there's probably lots of resources about trade shows now but at the time I felt like it was just a complete have I had no idea what I was doing I had no idea from booking a parking space to drop off your stuff and knowing how you're going to decorate it all and just knowing all of those things that as soon as you've done it you're pretty much an expert in it's not difficult but just taking that leap to get past all of that as still a shy person having to go out and meet customers and things that I'd only ever done online before I think that that was the point where I really pushed myself out of my comfort zone with Veronica Dearly and um, obviously now I do trade shows every year it's not a big deal even remotely but that was the the point where I felt most scared I think. Well you having to stand in front of your name mm. and say everything you see behind me is me yeah do you like me or not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must be really daunting because mm. you really are putting yourself on, on show I thought you might have mentioned I've I've seen that you've got two employees oh yeah um, and I if I look back to my journey and 
some of the scarier moments, you know, having people that you're responsible for and and actually finding people, hiring them, yeah. managing them, making sure they're happy, their feelings come <laughs> up before yours. Absolutely, you know, it's like a yeah. family, isn't it? You yeah. know, everyone's before you, um, especially as mums. What's your experience been those early days of hiring people and and how have you found embracing that into your life? Well, that was difficult. I think I'd known for a long time that I would need to hire people. Um, in the early days, I was working with my mum, who would be helping me pack all my orders and post everything out. And it just absolutely destroyed our kind of mother-daughter relationship because it's just not the same. We would we'd go on a yearly holiday with all of my family and we would just sit and talk about work and it was just... Uh, we were sick of the sight of each other, basically. So it, it had been building up for a, a long time that I knew I needed to branch out and get other people. And the thing that I found most difficult is just getting a snapshot of somebody in an interview and then knowing whether you want them to work for you for <laughs> however long that they're going to work for you, which was scary. But I think I've been very lucky in um, that I hired two people who have kind of been on this journey with me. The job roles have changed and how we operate has changed and it's been a very kind of fluid process. So it's been very lucky that I've hired two people that are happy with that, <laughs> really. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the responsibility of knowing that I need to pay wages every month as a bare minimum <laughs> before I've even done anything else has been quite scary. Also, have you found that you've got to have people who are prepared and happy, instinctively happy to come along for the ride? Mm. Because if you want something that, you know, I turn up here and I, I leave then and I know exactly what I'm doing and, you know, this is my job description and please don't mess with my job description, then this sort of small business and entrepreneurial world it really isn't for people. Yeah. You know, it shows you that those the interviews you did where you were questioning yourself, yeah. possibly, it worked out. But it can also just not work out, can't it? it oh, absolutely. It's, it's looking for some of these base principles, such as ability to be flexible so in those interviews as much as skill is important yeah it's actually also those um those values that people hold or their personality that they can ride yeah. ride along with you it's not just can you do this job it's can you do what the job might be in six months time or will you tell me when something's not working and we can change it or will you just be miserable or it's it's such a process that you go through as a small business that's in a period of growth and yeah I think the the main things that have stood the test of time with Carly and Claire is that they both love the brand they know where their particular skill sets lie they muck in with things that they don't like doing sometimes, but the goal is always and always has been to make our jobs, all three of us, to make the jobs work best for us. And yeah, we're, we're always on a journey, but that's kind of always the direction that we're headed in, whether it takes a bit longer than we expected or not it's it's and nice to have other people to share it with yeah to be able to celebrate those milestones that are coming along mm. and only you three will know yeah how hard you actually work <laughs> for that tell me so you know talking about this journey you now are stopped on asos yeah. and your new wine is being stocked in sainsbury's and morrison's yeah um <laughs> What has that experience been like selling to retailers? And the reason I ask is because 
I think there's a sort of notion where because they stock the high street, they maybe feel that they're not as independent or small business as other small businesses. And there's a slight sense that, you know, is it selling out? Am I still small? Am I still um, authentic? Yeah. So I'd love just to hear about that, not only the actual experience and dealing with big guys, but also you mentally coming to that point where you were happy. Yeah, I think as as a small business, when you do these trade shows and all these, out of all the standout experiences you have, the biggest excitement for me anyway is when you feel like somebody big has noticed you, whether that's somebody Instagram famous sharing one of your posts or a shop approaching you at a trade show that you've all heard of and you know is kind of like a high street name. Um, And you kind of are seeking that validation, whether that's good or bad. That's, That's always in the back of your mind when you're at these events that maybe they'll stop by and want to look at your stuff. So at the beginning, it's always very exciting or it always was for me to get that recognition and kind of feel like I'm doing something right and then there's the bad side which is actually generally the practicalities of everything it's so horrendously difficult sometimes the processes that you have to do and the hoops you have to jump through is it is it when you say the hoops you know is that what um the classic ones are payment terms or yeah, payment um, terms getting the... your products to them or how many products they actually want and then they're yeah. going to pay you nothing nothing <laughs> or yeah, exactly so what are those actual practicalities when dealing with the big boys the main thing obviously is agreeing the price and doing all the negotiations which are kind of well they were alien to me as a small business that just before that had a set price for wholesale a set price for my customers and I never really had to deal with any of that backwards and forwards so once you're agreed on all of that there's the payment terms which may or may may not be sort of three months or something even longer depending on where the company are from and then the real the thing that I struggled with is all the paperwork (laughs) they all all the warehouses have different standards that they require your items to be packed in you have to put things in specific sized boxes they have to be labeled in a very specific way with generated barcodes or color coding or all these different things that sound really silly to be worried about Mm. but at the time when you first start out dealing with them are such a huge deal they send you these big guides about their intake and how they need to be delivered and some of them need to be delivered within an hour time slot and the thing is when you're dealing with these big companies they have so many stockists and the warehouses will often fine you for mistakes so when you're dealing with your first big customer, that anxiety that actually, if you make a mistake with your paperwork or put things in the wrong size box, mm. that could wipe out not just your profit, but could leave you in... in Loss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's always in the back of your mind and kind of in a similar way to doing the trade shows. Once you've done it, you're pretty much an expert. It's not rocket science, but it's just that you're faced with this huge unknown with all these arbitrary rules that you have to follow that just become this this huge deal and it's terrifying just to deal Uh, with all of the 
those I, bits I, I and pieces. <laughs> and and tell me about your in your mind. So it wasn't hard to say yes. I do want to work with these guys. Yeah. I, I do want to work with ASOS. I do want to work with Sainsbury's. You saw that as validation, which it is, by the way. Yeah, mm. I can see. I think that there's a lot to be said about being remaining a small business, which I, I very much think I still am. And I think I'll continue to be a small business for a long time. But it's kind of my goal has always been to be bigger, really, not to be bigger as in a huge conglomerate, <laughs> but just to yeah. keep growing and keep going to the next stage. And there comes a time where that will mean working with a big shop or being on a big website or something like that to me. And obviously my products are very easy for me to replicate. It's not like I'm trying to produce these like lovely handmade things that I would have to work my skin to the bone to fulfill a big order. So you have got a product that can scale. Yeah. And that's the point. And it sounds like you have got you know, real ambition. And I think that's the nature is that small businesses can be authentic, can be the Veronica Dearly name yeah. and scale. Scale Absolutely. does not mean that you don't, you, you become less authentic because you are your guiding compass. Yeah. And I think I've, I've tried things that haven't worked in terms of growing and I'm very kind of fluid in the way that I approach these things. So in every step of growing my business, I've kind of been chasing this idea of success that might is not necessarily right. For example, I wanted to get a studio that we could all work from, spent a lot of money and a lot of time doing that, only to realise that actually what me and the team enjoy is the freedom of working from home. So that's a that's a growth step I've taken that I've then gone back, back on, on and, yeah. and changed completely. And it's just taking these steps at a pace that feels right to you, seeing how they work out. And you do make compromises along the way sometimes, but never making that compromise too far that makes you feel like, no, that's not right. Or so, alien to your own business. Yeah, so I've worked with, or I started working with companies who, for example, I've sent lots of work over, very exciting projects, and then they've come back and said, oh, this, is, this isn't really the colour palette that we'd normally use. Why don't we try it in kind of dark green and brown? And that, for me, is a compromise too far because I look at that and I think, that's not Veronica Dearly, that's not my work, that's a bad decision, basically. And so every step of the way is just kind of like a tentative experiment, really, and just being able to rely on the fact that I'll know when it's gone too far. I'll know when something's not right. Things that I thought I would love and stop shops that I've would like have dreamed of stocking before, sometimes they just are too difficult to deal with and so you stop dealing with them. So it's just kind of having the confidence to know when it's right for you and even more than that is having the balls really to say I've done I've done something wrong. I've done something that's not making me happy and I need to change it because it's it's horrible. <laughs> Both you know when you think back that you started your business with all those ideas but then when it was right yeah. your gut told you and you moved on it. Mm -hmm. And so that many years on you're doing you know yeah. again 
and what you're reliant on is your gut is saying, this is not the company I want to stock. That guiding compass that makes action, that makes you do something is with prevalent throughout your business journey. I'd love to here just touch on, you know, you've got a great social media following and it's, you've you've mentioned it and I've mentioned it throughout this interview about how when you went political, actually that's where the growth came from in your social media following. How imperative is it to your brand and would it survive without it? That's a terrifying question. Don't um, worry, I don't think it's actually going to happen. But the reason I ask is because yeah. it's about the strength of a brand yeah. outside of what is very easy marketing. Uh, I think at the moment, I consider me creating content to share on Instagram is one of my biggest growth strategies. And it is, I feel it's it's central to the brand it's central to the new products I create which are based on kind of that feedback you get when you share about a certain subject and you know actually there's more to this I could make a card about this people are really interested in this so for me now I finally feel like I've really found a flow with engaging with my audience and creating things that I know that they want to see so from that point of view it is imperative to me and I obviously drive an awful lot of my sales through Instagram and Facebook and and things like that so it's it's kind of scary to imagine that when people talk about algorithms changing and all that sort of stuff I try to I try to block it out because I think that there's all these sort of conspiracy theories that sound terrifying but it is it's 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 important to know when you've put all of your eggs in one basket Mm -hmm. which is obviously the opposite of what I want to do so for me it's just I try and spread my sales through different channels which is why so I, I at one point all of my sales more or less were coming through not on the high street and I knew as a business person that that is not a sensible strategy you can't just rely on a a third party even if it's a brilliant third party you can't do that so then I I made the decision to drive sales to my own website and make sure that I had a presence there that would survive if I got kicked off or something so and I'm kind of very much at that stage now with driving myself from social media knowing that there's something there's a gap there that I need to fill there is there is a new thing that I need to be doing that will maybe in 10 years time be what I make all my money from but unfortunately at this moment I don't know what that is (laughs) (laughs) but it's about experimenting isn't it it's about um, not just going with the fads and etc etc but if you see something coming along it's about jumping on that and trying it out for your brand and seeing if it will work but it's hard isn't it you know small businesses are busy you know how many more things do you actually have to do before you actually wash your hair in the morning (laughs) you know it's uh, sort of you know what social media posts do I have to post what email do I need to write what you know so it's about um, understanding those what's important for you I'd love to hear about what you feel the future is for Veronica Dearly. We've talked about how you're an ambitious woman, that you're you're yeah. going for it. What does going for it mean? Going for it for me 
means that I'm kind of always pushing forward to find something that challenges me and I think that I've found my flow very much with Veronica Dearly and I know I know it inside out and I know kind of how I want that to move forward but personally I feel this call to tie in what I used to do and I would really like to start helping people in some way whether that's kind of coaching or just I I haven't quite worked out what it looks like but I feel very strongly that that is the direction that I'm headed in and do, do you think that that's because along the way you've just you've seen so many people struggle and you look back and you think actually that was me and yeah. now I'm here is that sense of giving back to do with also creativity what is that giving back going to do for you I think that it's um kind of fundamental to me I'm so passionate about learning and challenges and I've reached a point in my career where I feel happy with my day job and of course there are lots of products that I would like to to develop and to have the Veronica Dealey brand on but I feel like I now have the knowledge and skills that I need to do that really and I just feel now that I have a capacity when I look back on everything I have done and I feel like you never really realize how much you've learned unless you really think about it and you think well at one point I wouldn't have known how to do this and how to do that so yeah I just feel based I think based on my original the startings of a career as a trainer that's always been something I've been really passionate Mm. about is just helping people do like find their own way and I feel like that is the challenge now that makes me feel really sort of fired up who would have thought the 19 year old <laughs> person working six days a week on the road being a trainer would somehow come full circle yeah. around thank you so much for your time today Veronica I know you would have inspired so many listeners I'm thrilled to hear that you're going to keep spreading your knowledge and you took that leap of faith and you were brave and it scared the hell out of you but it paid off and I just hope that's what people take out of today I know you've brought so many people comfort and joy with your illustrations and your positive force along with us having these huge grins on our faces whenever we interact with you so I can't wait to see what your next 10 years are going to be like and I'm certainly going to be your cheerleader (laughs) I think what you've done and achieved is amazing just towards the end of this interview I always use the analogy that running your own small business is like this bloody roller coaster that whether you like it or not you're on can you tell me what one of your proudest moments has been so far that's a really difficult question. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm now getting to the stage where people I meet at, might say, oh my God, you're Veronica Delia. I'm such a fan of yours. And I hate being, compl- well, I don't hate being complimented, but I find it really difficult to deal. I n- never know what to say to anybody. So I think just that idea that my work is reaching people who I don't know, who aren't connected to me personally and just having creating that audience, I think that's the thing that I'm most proud of is just connecting to people and then them sort of... I can imagine. <laughs> 
It's a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, there's so many people on this planet who that will never be the case. And I can imagine because of where you started. Yeah. Um, that actually having people come up to you must be incredible. Yeah. And on that basis, then, can you think of a low? I know the roller coaster has many more dips and oh. it does highs. I feel like I, I'm a very emotional person, so. Uh, and I've actually done a drawing about the creative struggle for me. And I feel like it's just constantly, as you say, going up and down. And when I have lows, they're these huge existential crises. crises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's just, it it does repeat itself. And it's kind of a thread throughout my life and and my work in that you reach these points where there's never been a huge thing that's happened and gone wrong but it'll be a week where lots of little things go wrong and you sit there and you think I don't want to do this anymore I don't know how I can do this and just pushing through those has been really difficult but going through all of those is part of being a human I think and so they're horrible and they're thankfully not too frequent but they happen and they happen to everybody, I assume. <laughs> so <laughs> just um, just trying to kind of, sounds really wanky, but honour that part of the process as being what pushes you up to the next peak, really. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, 100%. And if you could recommend a future guest for this podcast, someone who has inspired you? Oh, Leona from Lucky Dip Club. Oh, yes. She is doing some really brilliant uh, not along the lines of what I want to do but in a similar way she's built these brands that people have become aware of and have been really successful and is now giving back and creating a community of people where she helps them and I I feel like we're kind of at a similar stage of our journey and and I'm quite inspired she's a few steps ahead so (laughs) I find her very inspiring very inspiring she is an inspiring woman yes absolutely I I couldn't agree more so at this point in this podcast this little journey that we've had this wonderful moment where I've actually physically got to meet you (laughs) I ask our guests to prepare a letter to their younger selves I love this bit because I don't know what's coming but it's just been so wonderful and we've had this part of our careers together and I can't wait to hopefully work with you for the rest of our careers together so I hand over to you thanks so much thank you for having me it's been brilliant if I thought there was a chance that you'd read this I'd be far less candid I've seen enough films along the lines of sliding doors to know that the slightest change you might make could drastically alter the course of your future and whilst I will tell you that life is not perfect on the whole I'm happy with how this is all turning out and I know you will be too you're young and you're addicted to ideas as if they're cigarettes you inhale them pulling every last drag and allowing them to cloud your brain before extinguishing them and moving on to the next with equal enthusiasm. For now, this will remain a problem. You're a chain smoker of big ideas. You'll spend a lot of money on this habit without creating the impressive effect you might imagine. But the truth is, when the right idea comes along, you will know, purely because you stick with it. As you know, our school graphic design teacher has little time for you. The mutual dislike is palpable sometimes. 
In another life, maybe you would have realised where your skills lay a little earlier and run up a huge debt study in graphic design. As it turns out, you needn't have bothered, and perhaps she was sent as a gift from some spiritual entity of financial planning. The trouble with being a creative is that you can't take a course and qualify for the job you want, and the trouble with being a creative is also the thing that is so wonderful about it. Instead of applying for that job, you can create it, and you will in a little while. First, you'll jump straight onto a career ladder, and this will push you out of your comfort zone and force you to overcome your crippling shyness. It's over so quickly, you're too young at this stage for anyone to take you seriously, and everything moves too slowly for you. Don't spend too much time worrying about this. Everything happens for a reason, and you've learnt what you need to by the time you decide to bow out. Your only concession to teenage rebellion will be doing the opposite to your mother, who had you late and refused to settle for anything so terrible as a man in her life. Your husband will stand by you in the depths of abject misery. He will support you endlessly, yet bring the reality to your dream world. In many ways you're the opposite, yet somehow just the same. It will take you until your 30s to realise this, but being half of a strong partnership should not diminish your ability to behave as a whole person in your own right. Family life is important, not just in the obvious way, because it takes up so much of life, but also because it pours over into your work. You connect with people because you can articulate their experiences, and the best way to become inspired for what you will do is just to take all the pleasure you can in actual real life. The 2.4 children, the end of Terrace and all its associated domestic chores, the school runs in the Nissan Qashqai and dashing between extracurricular activities... Endless tiredness, neuroses and very occasionally other emotions. These are the bones of your days, fleshed out with everything else. That's not to say that any of this will come naturally, but getting the hang of it is all part of the journey. All of it really is a journey you will learn. You'll need to find the the right way to approach things, not just the way that you think they should be approached. You will go through the emotional roller coaster of seeking out a studio and spend a fortune on it before you realise that actually that's a vision of success sold to you by someone else. Living with a husband who changes everything that makes him unhappy will inspire you to do the same rather than stay stuck. I can't really give you advice, just reassurance. It will all be okay. You'll get the hang of it. Just try not to worry so much. You'll find yourself lost and then found again, over and over again. And what you learn along the way is more than just learning, it is living. You're so brilliant with words. (laughs) You really are. It's just, you know, I just, I just was listening intently there and just thinking about your cards and how you connect with people, your terrace house, your (laughs) 2.4 children, your Nissan, and then everything in between. And it's that ability to take everyday life and turn it into your world, your career, with the joy of Veronica on top of it, like a sprinkle of glitter that makes you so magical. And thanks so much for sharing that. It's just a joy. Thank you for having me. It's been terrifying and brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I need to hug now. I need to hug. Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub. It's full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started.
I cannot believe we're entering into series three and oh my, I've been overwhelmed by your love through your ratings and comments. I can't tell you how much you sharing these episodes helps others. How rating this podcast and leaving a review makes this series more visible to others and in turn will help them grow their dreams. So can I ask you a favour? Can you help me on this journey? If you like today's episode or any other, will you share? Will you rate? Please leave a review. I just can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. You will find that all the things that I have said will come to when you are lying in your bed. And if you want your friends to come